Hi, everyone. Welcome to Do It Today. I'm Kara Catruzula, and today I'm talking with Erica Rothstein, who is a theater producer, a talent manager, and an educator. She's a co-founder of Business of Broadway, which offers courses that pull back the curtain on the theater industry. And she's also just a wonderful person. Erica, when we met a few summers ago, you opened my eyes to so much about the industry. And I was also like, this woman is so nice and smart, and I want to be friends with her. So I made that my mission. Uh, So thank you for being here. And you do a lot. You have a lot of projects, a lot of clients. And I'm just really curious, though, what are you doing today? First of all, thank you for that loving introduction. I felt the same way about you when we first met, and I'm so happy that we are now friends. It's funny because I was thinking about that before sitting down to chat with you. I was like, wow, how would I even summarize what is going on for me today? Because as your introduction you know, shared, I do wear a bunch of different hats in the industry. And what it means is that like on any given day, a million unrelated things are going mm-hmm. on. In my producing world, I'm currently the executive producer for an off-Broadway musical called The Appointment that is in its final weeks of performances. And gratefully, it got some really lovely reviews and critics pick accolades. And as a result, we're now in our final week of performances and the demand is very high for this final week. So because it is scrappy off-Broadway producing, I'm also like basically the box office manager who is managing ticket requests and things together with our amazing company manager, AJ. And so a lot of my day today has literally just been fielding all of the industry folk who realized we're closing this weekend, want to get in and see the show at the last minute. So there's like that side of my brain. There's also the side of my brain that is helping clients, two of my clients who are writer, composer, lyricist, work through sort of like a challenging negotiation moment on a new project and figuring out what it means to find common language and shared strategy on a new project with collaborators. And this afternoon at three, I am also doing a moment of consulting with folks who met us through the business of Broadway or who met me through the business of Broadway and who are seeking some strategic producing consulting support around their own projects that they are producing a reading of in the coming months. So a little bit of a lot of different things is the answer to what I am up to right now. How are you able to switch between each of these things? Are you always adjusting on the fly? Or how do you sort of deal with the commitments that might come up and feel more urgent than things you might already have planned? What does that look like to you? I am a person who really like jumps into everything head first, whole hog. I don't know what it is to like be half invested. When I'm in a project like I am right now at the appointment where we are in it and rolling and and it is all in real time, I can sometimes actually get myopic and be a little negligent of the other projects and the other folks calling upon my attention. I love the way you sort of put that, Kara. I like default to the things that most obviously need my attention most immediately. Rachel Sussman, who is one of my friends of Broadway, is also the other executive producer of The Appointment. We are partners in this. And she and I have talked a lot over the course of this process about the yin and yang that we bring to the table because she is is much better at the big vision and the dreaming. And I'm in the trees, like making sure each piece of bark is still alive. <laughs> but I also have this awareness of like we're reaching the final week of the appointment. And those clients of mine as a manager who have raised their hands and said, I, I have an immediate need. I have paused and made time to address that. But those clients who haven't had an immediate need over the last four weeks, I've pretty much neglected. 
Mm-hmm. And that's not good, right? And this is part of me finding this new balance as well. I'm in a lot of ways learning these things anew right now because it is the first time my management has been as big as it is. And I've had a full project in production simultaneously. So I don't know that I have best practices to share, but I can say that part of what I am focused on and I'm constantly in awe of in some of my colleagues, Rachel, Heather Shields and Sammy Lopez, who are my partners at the Business of Broadway, is how they actually manage to always have so much going on and never seem to be myopic. Even when they are in production, I always feel like they are present as a business partner to me. And I have had them in my mind a lot while I've been in production for the appointment and thinking about how I could be better at that. The common theme among all of your many different endeavors does seem to be relationships and maintaining relationships, starting relationships, shepherding projects. I was wondering how you sort of balance that desire to nurture those relationships with having to do all of the other things that that you do on a daily basis. I have some artists who I work with who really like a weekly check-in and a week in the form of an email and others who prefer a regular check-in in the form of a phone call and others who really would hate the practice of a regular check-in and would rather just raise the flag when it's time for us to reconnect and download and focus on something new together. But I am so sort of touched by the way you phrased what it is that I do and how how you've picked up on Um, sort of the heart of what it is I hope to do, which is build all of my work around relationships. I'm like just so tickled that you see that and we're able to articulate that so beautifully because that is really, for me, that is the common factor in everything that I do. In some ways, it's actually less about the practical, how do we connect? And it's more about the qualitative, what is the nature of our connection? And for me, the common denominator in all of the relationships is, you know, I'm Kim Scott wrote a book called Radical Candor that I'm going to admit to never having read in its entirety, only having read half of, really enjoying the half I read. But perhaps the word that most applies is that of radical candor, which is like everybody in this relationship is a human being with feelings. Even I, as the person who's supposed to perhaps in the equation of, let's say, a manager to artist or a producer to artist, supposed to be the one who perhaps has the answers or maintains composure or or solves the problems. And I take the responsibility to solve the problems very seriously. I'm also still a human, right? And so what does it mean to relate to each other on a human level and to talk about needs and or problems and or challenges and or the best strategy for getting you from point A to point B in the context of like, what are you feeling? What am I feeling? What is it you need? What is it I actually feel like I can realistically provide you as the human being that I am and the skills that I bring to the table and also like the work I enjoy doing and the work I don't enjoy doing. Mm. Um, And where's like the intersection of what you're hoping to accomplish and what I feel like I can really deliver and uh, deliver with ease. For example, there's this this moment of friction on one of the projects that some of my clients are working on at the moment. And all that I really cared about was knowing that I could represent their needs and their values as humans. And the rest of it follows. The practical stuff then follows. That's sort of the commonality, if you will, between all the different hats that I wear. And I hope that even those folks who rightly might feel like I just disappeared on them for four months also feel like we can have a really candid conversation about if they had feelings about it and what I could do better next time. And I, since I didn't actually define it when I say radical candor, I really mean being willing to share honestly how we are feeling in both directions and work from there at all times. 
I love that book. And the idea behind it is one that really sticks because I think her example of it's not kind to the other person to lead them on in some way with either false hope or false praise. The idea that being honest and vulnerable and candid can lead to a deeper relationship and is a hallmark of an effective leader, right? Like we can't be afraid to say the things that the other person might not want to hear. And Mm -hmm. I did wonder in your relationships, both as a, a manager and a producer, how do you kind of share things that might not be positive or that might be disappointing to another person? Like, do you lean into optimism? You're not going to sugarcoat it because I know you, but like, I don't know, when something doesn't quite go the way either you expect or a client expects, how do you kind of move on from there? It's, you know, it's so funny. I, 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 once again, I'm like, wow, Kara, the way you just summarized like when you said that about sugarcoating, I'm like, I'm just so grateful for for what you are reflecting back at me. Um, you know, it's funny. My mother likes to joke that, except I think she thinks it's a joke. And I'm like, I'm not sure it's as funny or as kind as you think it is. She, but she <laughs> likes to say that Erica can give you some harsh feedback and you don't even notice she's done it. <laughs> and. I actually know she means it as a compliment. I'm not sure if that's the best way to, to to put the compliment. But, you know, frankly, I am a person who actually finds more conflict and discomfort in not naming discomfort. Like staying silent and not talking about it is actually much more uncomfortable for me as a human. Part of that is just my makeup and part of that is my mother and how I was raised and A lot of that is actually being mentored by the woman I worked for for over a decade, Jennifer Costello, who is a producer and an executive at Broadway Across America. And Jen just operates from a place of it is never helpful not to say the truth. I sat by her side for a decade and learned from her what it looks like to tell the truth in a way that isn't about sugarcoating. It isn't actually, as my mom put it, about making someone not notice that perhaps you're saying something critical, right? Or you're saying something that might cause friction. It's not about that. But it is about how do you say it in a way that they can actually hear it productively. And what that actually requires, first and foremost, is like giving myself some breath and some time, because usually my first instinct about how to articulate it is not the right one. And or has come from a place of my own emotions and my own emotionality and is never going to be the way that someone on the other side of the table is best going to hear it. And so it is about like actually providing some grace with myself to be like, what's the best way to tackle this conversation? And who am I talking to on the other side of the table? Because no two people are the same. What do I know about this person and how they might hear this feedback the best? And I think it really does come from just not being afraid of saying the truth. I don't know why this is the particular example that comes to mind, but I was working with some friends creating some content for the election for Democratic um, down-ballot candidates during the 2020 election. And we had like pursued a path of writing like this whole big music video to put on the internet. We reached out to artist friends to write it. And we sort of reached the moment in the process where we were like, what they've written is fantastic. And we also had this realization that like, and now we could spend a lot of energy you know, unpaid energy and bandwidth making this video. And none of us had any hesitations about expending that energy and bandwidth in service of potentially having more Democrats win the election. But it was like, 
And then how many people are going to see it? Is it actually going to get anyone else out to the ballot box and move the needle? This arrived at the realization that it probably wouldn't. But what we then had to do was go back to these artists with whom we were friends and who had written a fantastic satirical song about the election and be like, thank you for writing this song. We're now not doing anything with it. Mm-hmm. And we also had to have the hard conversation as sort of collaborators in the creation of the work where one of my collaborators said, I mean, we can't we can't tell them that. So we just have to make it. We can't have that conversation with these artist friends because that will be really disappointing to them. So we just have to make it. And I was like, it will be really disappointing to them. That is not the reason for us to make it. And I went back to the artist friends and I said to them, listen, we love your work. Your work is fantastic. Here's where our heads are at. Here's how we feel about what like the right way for all of us to expend energy in, you know, the time we could have spent making this music video is probably better spent with us all phone banking. (laughs) We will probably move more needles that way. It was a great idea. And now that we're into the execution of it, we're realizing maybe it wasn't as great an idea as we thought it was. Were those artists disappointed? Of course they were. They're human. How could they not be? And I knew they would be. And I honored that they inevitably were on that phone call. But I also just talked to them as collaborators because that's what they were. They were my peers and my equals and my collaborators. And frankly, maybe that's the crux of it which is in our business in particular, I feel like so many relationships are like laden with power dynamics. And I think the foundational key to having these kinds of candid conversations is to removing all power dynamics and looking at each other as humans and as equals and just talking honestly with each other. Wow. I want that to be like my mantra for 2023. I think I hear you say this and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just wish, I wish I was like Erica. I wish I could channel that kind of directness and forthrightness and everything that your mom kind of identified with what you're able to share with other people. But I think for some people it becomes difficult because it's immediately labeled as conflict, right? Like that's the Mm. power dynamic. It is I'm creating a problem or I'm sort of not going along with something that we agreed on or I don't know. It just sounds like what you're describing is an adaptable mindset, this idea that ideas can change and goals can change and we can all change with them. I I will credit that to another author and and brilliant mind, Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, And I like have besides reading and consuming Adrienne's content, I also got to develop a relationship with one of her collaborators and another brilliant writer and activist, Sonia Renee Taylor over the pandemic. And they really taught me about the notion of emergence and what does it mean to recognize that we can't possibly know everything today that we will know tomorrow. And so it has to be okay that the plan we make today might not still feel like the right plan tomorrow. In some ways, though, I think my practice of candor predates 2020. I think my like whole embodied embracing of that notion of emergence is is actually kind of new for me and is thanks to having emergent strategy by Adrian Marie Brown in my life and people like Sonia in my life. This also touches on an idea I wanted to talk about, which is creating theater and supporting people who are creating theater is such a long process, right? I love what you said about you are focused on the bark on the tree um, and maybe sometimes not seeing the entire forest. But how do you kind of approach those smaller goals and milestones? I mean, do you look at the beginning of the year and say, we want to be here, here, and here by these kind of benchmarks throughout the year? Or how do you structure your life and strategy in that way? It's funny. I just had this conversation this morning with a friend who is both a friend and a coach. And we were sort of 
talking in more of a of a coaching kind of context. And my friend Kat reminded me, I was like, you know, I'm just feeling like I'm not entirely sure how to articulate my my goals for the next year for mm-hmm. myself and my business. And she was like, well, having articulated goals and set a roadmap for yourself is never how you find your best opportunities. Like you, you Erica, have always found your best opportunities mm-hmm. by being embodied in the moment that an opportunity presents itself and knowing when it feels right in your bones. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, of course, that's who I am. And I like keep trying to be like, but you should have a plan. And like, I don't really have a plan. <laughs> but that said, that is not the perspective I would take to producing a project. In contrast, I do think that as a producer, it is actually really important to think about what are our goals for the next year, for the next three years for this piece, and therefore what is the groundwork that needs to be laid to get us there. And I think even in doing so, making a plan and then knowing it might make a hard right turn that you didn't anticipate in a couple months, all of that is also part of the process. But most of what I work on is musicals. And building a musical requires a lot of people in a lot of pieces. You can't be back-footed about it and sort of just like assume that the work of collaboration and building a cohesive team and building a cohesive vision for a project will just like make itself happen, right? I do think you have to be proactive and strategic about what are the artists involved in this project need for themselves as artists in this moment? What do they need in their learning about this piece? And what does the piece need, right? Like, what do you as a producer need to learn about this piece right now in order to help further understand the strategy for it. And so I do think it's important to like lay steps and ground plans in that context. I'll offer one quick example, which is I'm part of the producing team as an associate producer on the Broadway bound musical Water for Elephants. And that show has circus and puppetry. And in addition to your your more traditional choreography and set and costumes and lights and sound, we also have people flying through the air and an elephant on stage in puppet form. And so there's literally three weeks of choreo and circus pre-production happening right now in advance of rehearsals beginning in April for the world premiere production of the show at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta this summer. I cannot personally take credit because it is the lead producers, Jen Costello, who I mentioned earlier being one of them, who who have masterminded this particular plan in this case. It is not me. But if care and thought by the producing and general management team had not been put into place and in collaboration with Jessica Stone, the director, and with all of the designers, if real care and thought hadn't been put into place, what do we already need to know before the first day of rehearsal in April? What are the things we already need to know how to plan for before we can even walk into rehearsal? Because walking into rehearsal requires all of the rigging for all of the circus acts to already be in place. So the circus acts can't be choreographed or first discovered during rehearsal, because by the time we get to rehearsal, the actual physical capacity for them already has to be planned for, right? So like, what does it mean to then backpedal from that knowledge and be like, what are the strategic, what are the plans and moments that need to be put into place to get us to that moment? That is producing. Oh my gosh. There's something so specific about producing that is both macro and micro that I just feel like it takes such unique individuals who can both look at this long tail years of development and then break it down into those tiny goals down to the day-to-day goals and keep everything running at the same time and and have that forward momentum to sort of inspire and push and lead it. I almost want to say like it's a motor that runs a little bit faster than everyone else. So 
getting just back quickly to the nitty gritty of your day, you have all of these meetings and emails and phone calls and people wanting to get into the show. How do you wind down at the end of a day? I'm sure today probably looks a little different than it might look in a couple weeks from now, but what is today going to look like for you at the end of it? I love that question today in particular because I'll admit that my care practices over the last three weeks in particular as the show have been running have a little bit fallen by the wayside. But today I get to have dinner with two of my best friends from childhood, two of the women with whom I grew up and who have completely shaped who I am as a human being in the world. They live in the tri-state area and are coming into the city to see the show tonight and we are going to have dinner before it. And I am just so excited for the breath of fresh air and refilling of my cup that always comes with getting to spend time with the two of them. Oh, that's so wonderful. Well, having having a great dinner with friends to look forward to is always just a nice break. And it reminds me to make a few plans of my own. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing a little bit about what you do and how you do it. I'll let you get to all of the things, but I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Kara. So great to chat with you always. Thank you.